Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasai Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Hi, this is Susan Miller, and I am sitting here with Janet Golden, author of Babies Made Us Modern, How Infants Brought America into the 20th Century. And it's my pleasure to talk to Janet about her book today. So uh, we're going to start off with a very obvious question, which is, as historians of youth, we often focus on older kids. Um, so why did you choose to write about babies? Well, I'll say that the, I'm very inspired by historians of youth. Uh, they produce some wonderful new scholarship on childhood, but they tend not to write about babies. They tend to see infants in terms of mortality rates or place them in the world of kind of childbirth or mothering. And I really wanted to take them to task a little bit and open up the field by saying, let's look at how babies have shaped our culture, our practices, and our, our nation's history. Okay. So maybe, Janet, so thanks for uh, taking us to task. We appreciate that. So um, maybe one of the reasons we shy away from babies is because the sources are just not obvious. So how did you get at babies? Well, I found that babies are everywhere if you go looking for them. So my biggest source were baby books. The UCLA Biomedical Library collects baby books. And they do that, or the great archivist Russell Johnson does that, by buying them on eBay. And the advantage of that is the baby books that end up on eBay are the, kind, the kinds of baby books that were given out by uh, manufacturers, insurance companies, banks. They were the free ones, and they went to working class, middle class families. So they have a lot of detail about the lives of infants in ordinary families. So that was one source for me. Uh, advertisements, advertising copywriter material was very interesting to me. Um, I also found material in folklore, in the WPA Folklife collections of oral interviews where people talked about infants, um, in folklore books where people went and collected folklore activity. Um, and other kinds of, of sources like that. But the best or most interesting to me were actually, as a source that I think has been underutilized, were the newspapers put out in Japanese-American internment camps. Because wow. there you got a very close look at the lives of infants in a particularly fraught situation. And Another source that I really loved was uh, the records of nurses working for the Indian Health Service, as it was then called, on reservations. And every month they had to send in a report back to Washington, D.C. So you really got to see the lives of Native American infants 
through their detailed reports. Wow, that's amazing. That is really incredible. Um, and I think given some of the stuff that you just said, uh, people will uh, cotton on to the fact that Janet, although she studies youth, um, has, is, all, is trained as a historian of medicine. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later on and why some of those things about medicine and health are so important to her. But I just wanna, I just wanna ask you a couple more questions about what you just mentioned. So these baby books, since they were sent out, they were available to a wide swath of American parents. Um, working class folks who could get them for free and what amazing stories you seem to have about Japanese Americans and uh, Native Americans. Can you tell us a little bit more maybe, maybe even a particular, you know, couple stories about some of the diversity that you were able to capture in looking at these infants? Well, I would say infancy is a, a development. It's pretty interesting, but it's pretty standard across, we'll call it, racial lines. In terms of gender, I didn't see much difference in treatment of infants, which I defined as being under one year of age in my book. Um, but the diversity of experiences really came in the way their families treated them. So when they'd get sick, would they get scientific modern medicine? Would they get products sold by uh, pharmacies? Would they get um, would they, would they go ahead and get um, folklore practices uh, given to them? So they had a variety of experiences. And it was, it was really based on the culture of the family. For instance, I found in the South, in the folklore, the treatment of African-American infants with certain kinds of things like colic uh, and Euro-American infants with colic was very much the same. And there was a lot of transfer of information from one community to the other which surprised me. That's incredibly interesting. Um, and that, I mean, this gets at the question I want to ask you too, which goes back to the title of your book. So you just gave us one example of, you know, looking at the diversity of infants and, and their families that you looked at and talked about scientific medicine versus folk medicine, which is, you know, something that we think about in the history of youth. And, and obviously that's one way that you could maybe make the argument about modernity, right? If you're looking at, you know, how babies get treated, are they, are people, are their parents looking to kind of the new ways of thinking or are they thinking back to older methods? Could you talk a little bit more about, about your title now? So we talked about babies a little bit, the infants, but what about this modernity? So again, Janet's book is called Babies Make Us Modern. So how do babies make us modern? Well, uh, let, me, let me say two things, Susan. First off, I didn't intend to write a book about how babies made us modern. Uh -huh. I found so many wonderful fun sources about babies, I th and I started writing this with a friend. I thought, oh, maybe I just write about the baby books and what they have to say to us. And we did publish an article. But the more I looked, the more I was having these aha moments. Babies made us modern. Um, as I suggested earlier, uh, babies really introduced their families to scientific medicine. Families wanted their babies to live. Uh, they took them to doctors, they took them to Shepherd Towner clinics, they took them, uh, they bought new medicines for them, they got them vaccines. So they really brought their families into the world of scientific medicine in many cases. The other thing I found so fascinating is that babies connected their families to the federal government uh, through the U.S. Children's Bureau. You know, families were connected, rural families especially, were connected to the government through the agriculture department and their extension agents. And of course, people were connected through the post office. 
but what the women of the Children's Bureau really said is, well, we have extension agents because we want to raise healthy crops. Well, we want to raise healthy children. They're our future. So we need to get involved with stopping infant mortality by providing information. And as Molly Ladd Taylor has shown, people wrote hundreds of thousands of letters to the Children's Bureau asking for advice. Uh, the Children's Bureau book, Infant Care, was the most uh, popular book in the 20th century. Millions of copies were distributed. And the, the people trusted it when they had Gallup polls. Do you trust the government? Yes, we do. We want the government to help us raise our babies. And let me add one more way that I think that, mm -hmm. or yeah. two more ways that I think the babies made us modern. One is uh, they connected us to consumer culture and new products. People went out and bought things for babies. And I would really see this in like family ledgers where they would spend almost no cash except they'd have a baby and they'd buy uh, bottles or Go Borden's milk or other kinds of products like that. They really got connected to consumer culture and they bought a lot of things for babies and of course with a growing middle class and growing wealth over the 20th century people created a lot of we'll call them interesting products for babies. A lot of them okay. <laughs> centered around toilet training. So Excellent. I won't go there. Oh, come on. I we, won't we, go. we want you to go there. <laughs> Lots of little things to attach to your indoor toilets to help train the babies. And the babies also developed the, the discipline of psychology by really oh. being the subjects of studies of, of human development and human, uh, uh, human psychological development. Uh, they, that really got going by studying babies. So they were, uh, and, and my favorite story there is these, these scientists, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but they do things like, you know, prick babies with pins and then the babies would cry. <laughs> and I'm like, don't mothers do that accidentally with diaper pins? Like, why is this science? But it was, uh, they it, thought they were developing new, it's new information. It's science, it's science because male doctors did it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, so Janet, that is so fascinating, and I think that um, you know, in reading your book, I see you know what a broad swath of uh, parts of American culture you're looking at. So, um, you know, you talked about this trope of babies um, and children. We're used to this as natural resources. You know, we see this in Laura Lovett's work um, constantly. It's always pres preserving and conserving youth. Um, this idea that that babies can connect their families to citizenship and the government, I find that fascinating. I mean, you know, we're used to talking about that with younger people, uh, like John Grinspan's work, and uh, thinking about voters, but babies—that's really interesting. And advertising um, and connecting to disciplines we think about. So you've given us a lot of different ways to think about how babies made us modern. But I guess what I want to ask you is try to pin you down: is what do you think is the biggest? change in the lives of infants and in infants' families in the 20th century, which is the, you know, the scope of your book here? Well, I really saw the beginning of the book, which I, I really start at, at the World's Fairs of the late 19th century, as a time when there became an American project to have our babies survive. Uh, that's where we got our Children's Bureau. That's what a lot of products were about, a lot of medicines. So we had, I think, a collective sense of our babies. We have to preserve our American babies. 
Uh, and that goes on through World War II. Babies had to make certain sacrifices as well. A lot of products for babies uh, went off the market because the metal was needed for war material, and babies were used to sell war bonds. But in that second half of the 20th century, in that post-war period, when we had more wealth, where infants survived much more, we moved to an era of my baby. I'm buying wow. for my baby. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to protect my family, the kind of privatization that goes on. Uh, we don't want the government telling us how to raise our babies anymore. Uh, we want to do it privately. And that's a, a big change over the course of American history, but it's really illustrated in the world of babies, from mm -hmm. our babies to my babies. Can I, can I ask you a little bit uh, about that? So do you think that that shift from our babies to my baby, is that kind of the underpinning of some anti-vaccination or of like homeschooling? I mean, do you think some of that bleeds into some of the political conversations in the U.S. right now? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, mom knows best hmm. is uh, an interesting concept because, in fact, we used to say mom didn't know best. She went to the doctor, she went to her family members, she wrote to the Children's Bureau. It was mom wanted to do best, and we collectively wanted all our moms and dads to do best. We wanted to educate all our families, serve all our families. Uh, but now we've really gone into a privatized world, and we don't trust government information in some cases. We don't trust science as much as we used to. That's not entirely bad or wrong-headed because mm. science certainly went off in some very wrong directions. Um, but the sense of privatization can also have, have bad consequences for babies as well. For instance, we middle-class people might say, well, I work, I have health insurance, why do I have to pay for people to get on Medicaid? Why do we have to, why should we provide health care for pregnant women who are undocumented? There's a real sense of pulling back from a collective interest. Um, and I guess babies are part of that as well. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a fascinating story because, you know, all of us see how sometimes experts, what you were talking about with the pin, you know, patronize and dismiss parents. But then once we give parents some of that agency and autonomy and authority, we can get some unintended consequences. So that's very interesting. So, um, Janet, I want to wrap it up because all of us are tired of being in Zoom meetings, but I know you'll want to listen to this fascinating interview out there. And I just want to ask you the question that I you know, think is really the most important as I struggle with writing my stuff, which is, man, this seems like a lot of fun to write. So, like, what was the most fun you had in writing a book about babies? Well, I have to say the most fun part was sometimes I'd go into archives uh, and find the baby books of famous people. Ah. And uh, so when somebody would say, Amelia Earhart, I'd go, oh, I read her baby book. <laughs> That's right, uh, and, and uh, other, other ones, and the, probably people got tired of that for me, and I'll, I'll just give you one last story. Okay. I, was, I was in the theater watching uh, the Larry Kramer play, The Normal Heart, mm -hmm. and there's a character in there, Dr. Emma Bruckner, who's a physician treating early treating of AIDS patients. She's in a wheelchair. She had polio, and, of course, I knew that was based on Dr. Linda Lauberstein, and I had read her baby book. So I'm elbowing my <laughs> friends in the theater saying, I read her baby book. And they're like, shh, you know. 
so sometimes I got a little carried away. It was a little bit of a, a People magazine kind of, I know these famous people's baby books. That's excellent. But it made it fun. And th those of us who uh, offered you our baby books to look at for your book, we, we hope that you uh, used um, uh, obscuring uh, I markers of identity for our embarrassing No, I did, I did cite <laughs> some of my friends, and uh, uh, I, but I didn't put, you know, like my friend Joe, I wrote, Joe did, his baby book said, Joe does not like spinach. I had to use that. <laughs> Excellent. I, he still doesn't like it. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> These things are said. Well, Janet, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about your book, Babies Made Us Modern, How Infants Brought America into the 20th Century, published by Cambridge University Press. And it's been my pleasure uh, in COVID times to sit here uh, next to each other and see each other. Thank you so much for this interview. Well, thank you, Susan. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. SHCY.org.